Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast in the series, The Three R's. Today we wrap up our nine-week teaching series with the big idea of we can and should risk with the right motivation. We're going to spend time in Luke chapter 15. Enjoy and thanks for listening. Welcome to week number two of Risk and the final Sunday in the Three R's series. And I want to thank Ben Jones for launching the risk part of this last week as we thought about how it's worth taking relational risks so that we can help other people understand what God has done for us. I absolutely love talking about this topic. And the reason I love talking about this is because I believe God never intended for us to hide our relationship or to hide our friendship with him. He never wants us to do that. As a matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. God is looking for us to risk. But that can be awkward and can be filled with a lot of tension, and there can be a lot of challenges with doing that. And so we want to think today about how we can continue to risk with our friendships and in our relationships so that we can help other people understand what God has done for us. But before we jump into all of that, I want to say... Happy Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday in the liturgical calendar begins Holy Week, which is the week leading up to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And this was quite a week in the life of Jesus. It's quite an important event, actually, Palm Sunday. It's one of the few incidents in the life of Jesus that is actually recorded in all four Gospels. It was that important. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all share the story of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And I think that kind of helps us understand how important this day actually was. So six days before the Passover, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, and the city was up for grabs. I mean, it was a great celebration And people came before Jesus and they put their coats down in the road in front of him and they waved palm branches and they sang and they shouted. They were very excited about Jesus coming into the city. It was really reminiscent of a conquering warrior or a king returning from battle and the kind of parade that they would have for an individual who had done that kind of thing. But the unfortunate part of this is that they really didn't get, they really didn't understand who Jesus was. Because this crowd that was celebrating within just a few days, all of a sudden turned into an angry mob, and they demanded that Jesus be killed. And he died in the most brutal kind of way. What's incredible about Palm Sunday and Holy Week is that Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew that people would celebrate him and then they would kind of turn around and they would reject him and that he would die in a brutal kind of way. And yet he walked through all of that knowing what was coming because he wanted to pay the price for our sins. It's really incredible. And that's Palm Sunday. So happy Palm Sunday to you. And I want to thank our kids for helping us remember that event and its historical significance in our calendar. We're going to spend some time today in what I think is a very valuable paragraph in Scripture 
But before we do that, and before we look at that, I'd like to invite you just to pray with me. Can you do that? So, Father, we step into your presence on this Palm Sunday, a really important day in our calendar. It's a day where you rode into Jerusalem and people celebrated you, but yet in just a few days, boy, that crowd turned against you, and they put you on a cross, and you died paying the price for our sins. God, we're thankful for all of this because this is how we belong to you, because of your work on our behalf. So God, as we just look to your word today and as we think about how we can and we should risk in light of what you've done for us, may this just really impact us. And may we walk away from today with just this clear sense, a really clear sense of what you want to accomplish in and through each and every one of us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's our big idea for today. And that is we can and we should risk with the right motivation. So we can and we should risk in terms of our relationships and helping people understand what God has done for us. That's the risk part. We can and we should do that, but it has to be with the right motivation. And so today, one of the things I want to unpack for us is what is the right motivation? And what does that mean for you and for me, especially in light of Holy Week? So we can and we should risk. This should happen for all of us. But it's got to be with the right motivation. I want to share three points with you just to get you thinking about this before we look at our paragraph. So here are the three points. People matter to God, life is short, and if you've trusted in Jesus, then you have the answer. So let's just think about this, and I want these points to be rolling around in your mind. People matter to God, life is short, and if we have trusted in Jesus alone to save us, then we have the answer. One of the most interesting paragraphs in scripture for me is Luke chapter 15. And we're going to spend time there today. So if you have a Bible or a device, I want you to find that. And you'll also discover these words on the screen in just a moment. But Luke 15 is very interesting. And here's why. It's because Jesus is talking. And actually, anytime Jesus taught, that was always an interesting kind of thing. But it's really unique what he does in Luke chapter 15. And here's what Jesus does. He rattles off back-to-back-to-back stories. And this is the only recorded time in Scripture where Jesus shares three stories back-to-back-to-back. Now, it might have happened other times, but it's the only time in Scripture we have it recorded where he rattled off three stories in rapid-fire succession. And that's what he does here. So that makes Luke chapter 15 kind of unique Now, here's what's great about these stories. They're different stories, but yet they have a common theme to them. So they're different stories, but yet there is a theme that runs through all three of these stories that Jesus rattled off back to back to back. Now, let's think about this. If Jesus stood before a crowd and said, here's the deal. I've got three stories that I want to share with you. I think you're going to like these stories. They're kind of fun. They're engaging. They're interesting. And they share a common theme. 
would this be something that would be kind of important for us to listen to? And the answer is, yes, this is really important, actually. It's almost like Jesus got in front of the group and said, all right, class, here's the deal. I want you to sit up. I want you to pay attention because I'm going to share three stories. And they have one theme. I want you to get this. I want you to know this. I want you to be a part of what you understand. And this is coming from my heart. This is a big deal. Now, before we get into the actual stories, it's important for us to know who is Jesus speaking to in Luke chapter 15. And as it turns out, this is a valuable part of the story, who Jesus is speaking to. So, Check this out, Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Here's what it says. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. Who's the them? Well, I believe the them in this story is the Pharisees. It's the teachers of religious law. It's a church group. And so what we discover right away in Luke chapter 15 is the who of the story. It is a religious crowd. And what's fascinating about this is that they come to Jesus here And they say, Jesus, look, we need to have a conversation with you because we have some concerns. We have some issues with you and how you're operating. It seems that you associate and you talk to and you even eat with tax collectors. In this day and in this particular culture, tax collectors were not a respectable group of individuals. They were basically known as dishonest cheats. And so when the religious people who were on the up and up came to Jesus and said, look, you're hanging out with someone who is a known cheat. This is not a respectable person. As a matter of fact, Jesus, it's even come to our attention that you might be eating with these individuals and you probably should stop. Maybe you're not aware of who they are and what they do, but this is not something that you, as Jesus, should really be partaking in as part of your work, especially eating with them. See, if you were a family at this particular time, if you were sitting down for dinner one night and you had your kids there, and as a parent, if you asked your child, what is it that you want to be when you grow up? This would never happen. Well, Dad, I think I'd like to be a tax collector. Right? Like that conversation never took place because the parents would look at the child and say, you can't do that. It's just not respectable. They are dishonest cheats. You do not want to grow up and be a tax collector. And so they've got this great concern. Jesus is hanging out and even eating with these individuals. But then it gets kind of worse Because they look at Jesus and they say, not only are you hanging out with these tax collectors, but you are hanging out with notorious sinners. And I think that's kind of a funny phrase to me. Not only were they sinners, they were notorious sinners. Like they were really good at sinning. They had perfected it. 
And Jesus was hanging out with notorious sinners, these individuals who were just excellent at sinning. And the idea of the language here in Luke chapter 15 is that these tax collectors and these notorious sinners were individuals who were probably outcasts in society. Nobody spent time with them. They were on the fringe of culture. But yet here's Jesus, and he's hanging out with these tax collectors and these notorious sinners. And so the religious group, they try to help Jesus by saying, you probably don't want to do that. Kind of makes you think, doesn't it? I mean, if that's who Jesus spent time with, what does that mean for me? And as I began to think about Luke chapter 15 this week, it came to my attention that I don't feel I spend enough time personally with notorious sinners. I just don't think I do. Now, I have six kids, and they fit the bill sometimes, but not me, of course. So if Jesus did this, do we? Should we? And do we risk enough in our relationships. See, this is one of the things we love about Jesus, isn't it? Well, he just did things that nobody else did. And he went to places that nobody else would go to, especially the religious crowd of that day. And he spent time that nobody else would spend time with. Jesus ran to the messes. And I believe he kind of wants us to do the same as we risk in our relationships. So keeping that in mind, the who Jesus is speaking to, let's begin to think about these particular stories. So again, Jesus rattles these off back to back to back. Here we go. Are you ready? Story number one. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. That's story number one. Here's story number two. Or, suppose a woman has ten silver coins, and she loses one. Won't she do this? Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Story number three. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. I'm not going to read the middle part of that story, but what the son does is he goes off and lives a crazy lifestyle and he wastes all of the money that his father gave him to the point where he became homeless. And he was down and out. He had nowhere to go. And in his mind, he figured, maybe I can return 
to my father, and he'll let me at least be a servant in his house. Verse 20. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Three stories, back to back to back. Jesus just rattles them off. Story about a lost sheep, story about a lost coin, and the story of the prodigal or the lost son. Now, did you pick up on a theme that kind of runs through these stories? Let's think about it. Here's the theme. Something of value was lost. Something very valuable that was lost. There was a lost sheep or a lost coin or the lost son. Something valuable was lost, and the lost item demanded an all-out search. Like these individuals dropped everything in order to begin the search for what was lost. And when the lost item was found, there was a great celebration. Sheep, coin, and son. Valuable items in the story. Something of value was lost, and people went on an all-out search to find those lost items. And when they were discovered, when they were found, there was great celebration. Now, when you put those stories in Luke chapter 15 in the context of who Jesus is speaking to here, a religious crowd, you really pick up on some powerful, even life-changing lessons And I want to share them with you. Actually, I've already said them, but we're going to go back and think about these in relationship to here's the motivation. I mean, here's what really gets us fired up about risking in our relationships, even when it is awkward and even when it is challenging and even when we don't know what to say. Here's the motivation. First of all, people matter to God. Everybody. Everywhere. All people, doesn't matter what they look like or what has happened in their lives, people matter to God, all people everywhere. And in these stories, even in the story about the lost sheep and the lost coin, both of those stories end by talking about people, how there is rejoicing in heaven when a lost person finds their way back to God. And that is true of the story of the lost son as well. People matter to God. Everybody, everywhere. Secondly, life is short, isn't it? We have no idea how long we have. And you don't know how long the person next to you has either. And even if we live a relatively long life in terms of human standards, it pales in comparison to eternity. It's really a short time. People matter to God. Life is short. And the third lesson, the third motivation is if we have trusted in Jesus, then we have the answer. We, 
The truth of Christ, if we've responded to that, then we have that answer within us. And God never intended for us to sit on that information. God doesn't want that. He never asks that of us. Instead, he asks us to risk. And here's the thing, and I want you to hear this. God almost always uses providential relationships to grab people's attention and help them see his love. God almost always uses a providential relationship in your path or in their path to help them understand and see God's love. People finding their way to God. People coming back to God. People trusting in Jesus alone almost always flows out of a relationship. That's just the way it works. When I get the chance to have conversations with people and I ask about their faith story, How is it that you found your way to God? When did you trust in Jesus alone to save you? Inevitably, it always flows out of a relationship. And people say things like this. Well, it was my mom or dad. And they sat down with me and they talked to me about the love of God and the work of Christ. And I got it. That made sense. And I trusted in that work. Or people will say, was my husband or my wife? And they shared something with me or they invited me to a place And I heard about God's love and God's purposes for my life. And I responded to that. I trusted in that. Or people will say, it was a friend who invited me to a church. And I heard the truth about God and his love. People finding their way to God almost always flows out of a relationship. And I want you to think about this. God wants to use you to help the people around you find their way to him. Not me, because I can't be everywhere and other people in this room can't be everywhere. But God wants to use you to help the people around you find their way to God. Will you risk? Will you be willing to do that? Well, our big idea tells us we can and we should be willing to do that. So what I want to do now is I want to share four different simple practical takeaways that will help us with the how of this. So here's takeaway number one. We can and we should risk to help people respond to God with the right motivation, right? People need God. God loves people. Life is short. If we've trusted in Jesus, we have the answer. So takeaway number one, risk and view people from God's perspective. Now, it's kind of a nice statement, isn't it? You know, of course, we're going to view people from God's perspective, right? Wrong. I don't think I do that very often. Because here's what happens to me. And maybe this is just me. Maybe this doesn't happen to you. But often the people around me can be really annoying and obnoxious and irritating. Does that happen to anybody else? Or is that just kind of my thing? Yeah, I think we're all in that together. So here's what God says. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to work on. I want you to put off the fact that people irritate you and having that view of them and being disappointed with them. Put that off and in its place, put on my view of people. And again, it sounds nice, but we really don't do this that often. We get irritated and annoyed. And so God is saying, let's put that off and in its place, let's put on God's view of people. And let's just remind ourselves, here's God's view. That person that irritates you, that person that annoys you, that person that disappoints you, 
deeply matters to God. Deeply. And if they're without Christ, then he is on an all-out search to rescue and redeem them. Again, we may not be thinking about that. But that person that might be disappointing to us, they deeply matter to God. And if they are without Christ, he is on this all-out search to find them and to redeem them and to rescue them. And when they discover him, when they trust in him, there will be an all-out celebration because what was lost is now found. And that's how God views the irritating, obnoxious, disappointing people in our lives. And so when we think about risking a little bit, we have to put off the view of being disappointed and angry with the people around us and putting on in that place a sense of God's perspective. And they matter to God deeply, more than what I can imagine and what I can even describe. And if they are without Christ, he is on an all-out search. I mean, he is turning up everything to rescue and redeem them. And when that happens for them, there will be an all-out celebration. And maybe, just maybe, God wants you to risk for who he loves and who he misses. Secondly, risk. And remind yourself that God has placed you where you live, work, and play for a purpose. And it's not by chance that you live where you live. It's not by chance that you work where you work. It's not by chance you play where you play. It's not by chance that you go to school where you go to school. It's not by chance that you're on that team at work. It's not by chance that you play on that particular sports team. It's not by chance that you coach or you volunteer or you do whatever it is that you do. God doesn't do anything by chance. And God has uniquely placed you where you live, where you work, and where you play for a purpose. See, often we just don't think that way, do we? Often we say, well, I made the choice to live here, or this is where I wanted to work, or this is what I do with my free time. That's really not the case. God has placed us in all of those circumstances and in all of those places for a very specific purpose, and that's because God wants to use you. God wants to use you to reach the people around you with the hope that he can bring into their lives. So risk. And just remind yourself every once in a while, God has placed me here. And maybe I don't like here, but until God gives you a different here, that's where he wants you to be. So bloom there. Be productive there. And maybe in time, God will move you on to what you want But God's placed you right where you are for a very specific purpose. Thirdly, risk and spend time with people who need Jesus. In other words, find a mess and get involved. There's messy people everywhere, aren't there? And you probably don't even have to go beyond a hallway in your house to find a mess. Right off, we think, oh, i got to go way over there, and that's where the mess is. That's where poverty is or whatever. Well, probably within our own families, there is a mess somewhere. And often we like to avoid that, and we don't want to do anything with that. But perhaps Jesus is calling us to risk and to find a mess that may be very close to home or even within our home. So find a mess and get involved. Fourthly, risk and extend 
an invite. Easter is a week from today. And it's not unusual for a lot of people to show up for Easter. Next Sunday, we'll have the largest attendance of the year. I mean, people come out of the woodwork for this day. It's kind of the day people go to church, even people who hate church. Like, they show up on this day, you know, i got to do the Easter thing. So the ball is on the tee for us. This is not even hard. People are open to an invitation this week more than any other time. And so I want to encourage you, risk and extend an invite and invite someone to fill the chair next to you. Again, it's sitting right there. This is not a difficult thing to do during this week. And we're even going to give you a tool on your way out the door. We're going to give you a bunch of invite cards. And you can take those cards and you can simply hand them to people. You don't even have to say anything. Our website is on there. Times are on there. You don't even have to talk. You don't have to worry about it. Just hand that to them, and they can figure it out on their own. And I want you to know we work really hard here at Valley Point to create environments where you can feel safe about inviting your friend to come. And hopefully they'll have a great time. They'll be encouraged and inspired. And who knows that that might not be the thing that puts them on a path to discovering God's purposes for their lives and embracing the love and the forgiveness and the leadership that Jesus offers specifically to them. So this is the week. This is not hard. Don't make it complicated. We're going to give you tools, and I want you to go out there and invite like crazy. Moms and grandmothers in the room. Look, you guys are really good at this, and I want to encourage you to take advantage of your position because no one can say no to a mom. No one can say no to a grandmother. So pour on the guilt. In a good kind of way, but I mean, pour it on and invite people to come to you. And I think we're going to have a marvelous time next Sunday. Now, we do all of this. All of this. Because we can and we should risk with the right motivation. And what's that motivation? Well, people need God. People desperately need God. All people. People need God. Life is short. We don't know how much time we have. We don't know how much time they have. And if we've trusted in Jesus alone to save us, we have the answer. So let's risk knowing that this is exactly what God has called us to do. Father, we're grateful for our time on this Palm Sunday just to think about this all-important area in our lives that we sometimes avoid. It's difficult, it's challenging, it's awkward. We don't always know what to say, and God, I don't think we've got to worry about any of that. I think we simply live the way you want us to live, where we have been planted, where you have placed us, at home, at work, at play, school, whatever team, Just be who you want us to be there. And I think opportunities will arise and we can extend invites and risk that way. God, you're going to work all of this out because you care about the people around us more than what we ever could. So God, some of us are here today and and we have compassion and we have an interest in reaching the people around us. God, I pray for those individuals that you would inspire them to really get out this week and extend some invites. God, for some of us, we have people around us that are really disappointing and annoying and we don't really even like them. But yet we're there and 
and they're there as well. They're in our space. They're in our world. And so, God, I pray that you would help us this week to view people from your perspective, even if they annoy us and bother us. Well, you care deeply for them. And you're on an all-out search to rescue and redeem them. And when that happens, there's going to be a great celebration. God, I pray that you turn our hearts to that perspective so we can be in on the party when it happens. God, I know I've got five people this week that I'm thinking about inviting. I pray that you'd help me to do more than think about it, God. Help me to put action to that, to take these cards and to extend those invites. God, help us to risk this way. You've done so much for us. Palm Sunday and Holy Week, God, this is just an amazing thing that your son Jesus walked through on our behalf and he knew what was coming and he willingly did it to pay the price for our sins. So God, help us to risk a little bit in light of what you have done for us that we never could have accomplished on our own. God, we can and should risk with the right motivation. So help us to think about this and implement it this week. And I pray that you bring us back next Sunday just to have a wonderful celebration centered on the fact that Jesus lives. And because he lives, I can have life as well. So bless us now as we respond to you in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.